So this family goes shopping at the mall. My wife and I and kid were shopping. That's the dad, John. And it's getting a little bit late in the day and their son is starting to get tired. Because it was kind of getting close to nap time. I had to get supper started and whatnot. And she kept shopping with my mom who was, who was visiting. And while he's at home, he gets this call. About 20 minutes later, she called me up from my mom's cell phone and said, Hey, um, can you track my iPhone? And, you know, I, I seem to lost it. I think my kid, you know, we, we kind of thought, oh, maybe our, our son took it out of her purse and dropped it on the floor or something like that. So he logs into her iCloud to see where it is. And her phone isn't reporting its location anymore. It's gone offline. It's been turned off in the last couple minutes, which makes him think. Like, this isn't just a, a random, okay, lost my cell phone. It's somebody stole it. Here's a question. In a world where you can lock, encrypt, and blacklist a lost or stolen phone, where a lost phone, if properly reported, is basically an expensive paperweight. What is the point of stealing a phone? Who would buy it? Do you just sell it for parts, or is there something that I and John were missing? John, which isn't his real name, works at a really well-known technology company. And when his wife's phone went missing at the mall, he started going down this rabbit hole of trying to answer that question. What does a phone thief even do with a wiped, registered as stolen, blacklisted phone? Until one night, his wife's new phone gets a text message. Something came crawling back out of the rabbit hole. This is where stolen phones go, here on Hacked. Have you ever lost a phone? Uh, no, I don't think I have. But, hmm. but I know many people that have, obviously. Yeah, sure. I've never lost one. I found a phone once and I, I returned it to the person. Same. But same. Yeah, as we all should. We're, good, we're both good. For you us. and I. Yeah, good. Yeah, people. I know. Yeah, high yeah. five. Pat yeah. on our back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I have always wondered. So, like, for about 10 years now in the West, I guess, there's been really good infrastructure for blacklisting stolen or lost phones. And it probably. It kind of, when you look at the timeline, it sort of roughly lines up with the transition from phones being phones to phones being personal computers that contain sure. our, uh, exactly. But it didn't used to be that way. There's, we had to build this infrastructure. The first step to locking down stolen phones was developing like a, a blacklist of stolen devices. Europe got one in 2004, Canada followed about nine years later with the CWTA in 2013, the US got one a little bit after that. And over time, a bunch of them have all sort of started talking to each other, like sharing this list of stolen phones, a list of IMEI numbers. Do you know what an IMEI number is, Scott? I sure do. It's essentially the unique ID code for your phone uh, on the wireless network. Bingo. International Mobile Equipment Identity. It's like a 15-digit fingerprint for when your phone connects to the carrier. Yeah. When you report a phone stolen, 
what they do is they add that IMEI number to a blacklist that's shared between all these different networks. So if anybody tries to use the phone anywhere in all of North America, that blacklist is gonna prevent it from being activated on any wireless carrier until you remove it from the list, which only you, the owner, can do. You can technically change an IMEI, but it's difficult if, say, on like an iPhone, you mark it as lost through iCloud, which remotely locks and encrypts the device, uh, disables Apple Pay. It's very, very hard. The phone is, if I'm you know, following all this correctly, to borrow John's phrase, it basically becomes a paperweight. So John's wife's phone goes missing at the mall. She calls up her husband, and John starts kind of poking around a little bit. He posts on a local community Facebook page uh, where they live, just saying, hey, you know, if anybody finds a blue iPhone 12 in, you know, in the mall, uh, probably around this time, um, let me know, you know, it belongs to my spouse. And then a few minutes later, I started getting replies saying, oh, well, my phone's missing too. So I had about four or five people report, you know, just on that Facebook post saying that they're, they had a phone stolen from them at the mall or you know, neighboring stores um, that afternoon. And that's kind of that's kind of what I thought, okay, man, what's what's going on? Like this isn't just a, a random, okay, lost my cell phone. It's somebody stole it. So John goes through those steps that we listed before, right? Turning the phone, he thinks, into a paperweight. Sure, bricking it. Bricking it. He goes to the carrier portal, he marks it as stolen. So the phone's IMEI number gets added to the blacklist and won't connect to any carrier in North America unless she removes it. Then, to protect the data and make the device useless outside of North America, he hops onto iCloud and reports it as lost there, which locks the phone itself down, disables Apple Pay. You can wipe it. You can wipe it. Yeah. And do all kinds of things. Now you don't even, you can't even just get into it with the phone's password. You need the full iCloud credentials if you want to essentially unlock this phone at this point. And even then, it still wouldn't connect to a carrier unless he tells the carrier, hey, I found my phone. So, you know, it can't connect. There's no data usage, no phone usage. Um, and it's just kind of marked as lost or stolen. Um, that way, you're not on the hook for incurring any charges that happen after that. John does exactly what I, as a layperson, kind of understand you're supposed to do when you lose a phone. He, he, you know, locks it down and he goes to bed. And sure, it's kind of a sour note to end an otherwise nice day at the mall on, but like, you know, you lose a phone sometimes. What can you do? Costly, costly errors, but, but something that's probably more common than we wish it was. Until... Later that night, about 10 o'clock, I got a ping on my cell phone that said, oh, iPhone's been located. And it had shown up online three hours away in, in, uh, at a strip mall in Toronto. I thought, okay, that's really weird. So I reached out to a couple of the people that I had been chatting with on Facebook about them having, you know, their partner or girlfriend or whatnot had their phone stolen. And said, hey, yeah, so our phone showed up, you know, in, at this address, you? And they, they, the two people that I spoke to confirmed it, that their phone was there as well. So the phone goes missing, 
and then briefly appears online, three hours away, in a strip mall, before going dark again. And it wasn't alone. And this all kind of starts to tell a little bit of a story. Someone has spent the day stealing phones across this part of Ontario, and they get in their car or whatever with all these phones, and they go somewhere, and they take them to the same place. And there, in the middle of the night, they're just sort of quickly turning these phones on to see if they're locked or wiped or if they work or if they don't. And they turn on John's wife's phone and they see it's got the password, see it's locked, and they quickly turn it back off. So John, now confident that this is a theft, does, you mentioned this earlier, he doesn't just lock the phone, he now says, okay, next time this thing turns on, wipe off the hard drive. Delete everything on this thing. These are phone thieves. Brick it. Truly the last step he could take. Yeah, shut, shut it off, kill it forever. Kill it. Just butcher the thing. Save the, protect the data. Exactly. So the next time it comes online, it'll check in and, and erase itself. And it's still locked down behind those iCloud credentials. He's not only bricked the phone, he's filed a police report, told it to erase itself the next time it comes online. The only way this phone is of any use is if somehow his wife gets it back and can log back into her, her iCloud account on it. She would have to re-download everything and turn it back into a phone. A couple of weeks pass until this device shows its face again. And in those intervening weeks, it has gone on a journey. <laughs> it's two weeks later, again in the middle of the night, and they get an email, a legitimate email from Apple saying, hey, you know how you told us that the next time this phone comes online to immediately wipe the hard drive? Well, we're just letting you know came online and we wiped it. And John says, where did it come online? It was reporting as being lo located in Vietnam. So they'd put this phone on a plane, in a shipping container, in a package, and they'd gotten it to Vietnam, where someone had tried turning it on, at which point Apple says, there's that little bastard, and wipes the drive. And sends John a message letting him know what had happened. The blacklisted, wiped, and importantly locked phone is now in Vietnam. The only way it becomes a phone again, anything other than a paperweight, is if John's wife were to log in with her iCloud credentials. And John gets this suspicion that he knows what's going to happen next. For sure. I kind of jokingly said to my wife that, okay, you're going to start to see some phishing emails. In the weeks since his wife had gotten a new phone with the same number as before, and the next morning, she gets a text message that basically said something along the lines of, your iPhone has been found. Please click here and log in to see its location. And she says, is this what you meant? John says, yes, that is exactly what I meant. Don't click on that whatsoever. The, the verbatim, the text is what it says would be, dear customer, your iPhone 12, 64 GB blue was found. View the location at, and then there's a URL. And then, you know, it's signed by find my iPhone. And these texts just start coming one after another after another. And John could have ignored them. He could have said, it's kind of creepy that they've got our old phone and they're trying to trick us into giving them the iCloud login. But as long as you don't, as long as I don't, as long as no one gives those credentials, we're fine. I think I probably would have just called it a day there but curiosity gets the best of him. And he starts saying, 
I'm going to collect these messages. I'm going to start creating a little database and I'm going to start putting them in and keeping track of all these URLs, these phishing attempts. I'm going to try and just figure out what it is these people are doing. What we did was I just started collecting them. I started collating the, these bad links as a way just to say, okay, what are they doing? He starts building this database, trying to figure out how this thing works. I think in one of our early episodes, we talked about the phishing classic of like you get an email from someone with an important file, but it's not actually their email. It's a version that's ever so slightly misspelled, right? Like that's yeah. the classic of this. The easiest, easiest deception. At first I assumed it was gonna be more complicated than that. So I started researching what had happened to miss like where did we go after the misspelling? There were some really cool evolutions of that attack vector. Uh, one I thought was really cool was called a homograph technique. Have you heard of this? No. So it was in vogue for a couple years before browsers sort of nipped it in the bud. Uh, so say for like example, Cyrillic characters. Cyrillic characters will have codes that you can use. And if you were to type in one of these codes, copy it in probably, uh, the software will automatically convert it to the Cyrillic character. If the domain you're trying to spoof has a character that has a Cyrillic equivalent, you can just make a domain with that long code in place of the letter, and the browser will automatically convert it to display as the Cyrillic character, which then shows it as a normal letter to the user. Sure, and it looks exactly the same. Looks exactly the same. Eventually, browsers figured this out and said, stop dis auto-displaying these uh, character codes as the character itself, because this is like, we're baking spoofing functionality yeah, into yeah, our yeah. browsers. We are facilitating this attack. <laughs> The messages that John is getting are even simpler. They're the classic one, the misspelling. Uh, she's getting these texts that say, you lost your iPhone, log in here to see where it is. And the link, instead of apple.com, it's... Actually, what? Uh, how would you spoof apple.com? A-P-P-L-E.com. Oh, with a misspelling? Yeah. That make the P's Q's maybe? Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Like, like one of them, it's like your brain will autofill it in probably if like the second one. Yeah. But even that, I don't P know. P and Q is pretty good. Yeah. They went with Appy. And I think they had to tag something else on oh, the end of it. App like uppercase I.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You type it in, it looks pretty good. Um, I think Apple does own, I'm actually going to check this. They must. Yeah, for protection's sake, do they own Appy.com? <laughs> yeah, the, the app, Apple.com owns Appy.com, so they had they'd drunk something else in there in order to make it their own. But generally speaking, uh, Appy, they were hiding behind Appy.com. Appy.com takes you to something that I don't even. I probably shouldn't be here. <laughs> for don't forget the e. <laughs> I did. I went to Appie.com. Oh God! And, and I got really. Yeah, 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 and it. Looked like something that you, looked like a, a website that you don't want to open on your computer. Weird. I'm getting to Apple.com. Oh, maybe your browser is smart enough that it's redirecting you. Oh, I'm on. I'm in Safari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Apple has Ooh. baked that functionality in. I was just using Microsoft Edge. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe they they have a protection built into their stuff to to stop people, and that could actually honestly be because of this attack. Huh. Because it's probably the same source code. Yeah, yeah. Appy.com on my Safari browser takes me right to Apple too. Yeah, on Microsoft Edge, it definitely does not. <laughs> so, so, huh? 
Real-time discovery here. Yeah, Real-time. Safari has uh, anti-spoofing measures for Apple's own proprietary domains. Yeah, probably to stop links opened on their mobile devices running Safari from opening and going to, you know, bad places. Whatever the spoofed domain is that they're using, if you go to it, it redirects to just apple.com. So it looks like it's legitimate. But, but these... You know, scammers actually were sending you a URL with um, a malicious identifier. There was a header in the in the email link, so that my suspicion is they could identify what phone that um, credential belonged to, right? So they'd send you a a reference, and there'd be a key field, and that reference would say, "Hey, this is this is this blue iPhone that was stolen." Um, because if you actually fired up a browser and navigated to the link and clicked on the link that was sent in the message, it would bring you to a page that wanted you to, to log in and actually you know, enter your credentials. It takes you to a page where it says, hey, welcome to iCloud. Go ahead and log in here. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you put your security credentials into this box? We'll 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 take those from you. Thank you very much. It sounds like you want to log into iCloud. Why don't <laughs> uh, you come to the right place? We can help you. A very old school phishing scam aimed just at you trying to steal your iCloud credentials so they can unlock your phone. And that's kind of when my, um, you know, my my spidey sense started tingling. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And I've you know fired up. Uh, private browser and you know vpn client i actually used a virtual machine to do this so that i wasn't downloading anything malicious on my on my home computer and just started seeing what these domains actually were and i started just started compiling okay you know what this domain redirects to this domain and it's using this registrar and um you know just compiling as much information as i could about it i like that i like that i like that you made a you made a sandbox, just in case, just in case. Hundred percent, a little hazmat suit for wandering yeah, into yeah, some. Exactly. Yeah, And he starts thinking about it, and the volume of phones stolen on just that day, all of which are getting these texts, implies that the people that are doing this have even more devices, and are trying to run and manage a whole, pretty high volume of these different phishing texts, trying to gather all the data mapped to specific phones. Like It's a lot of information flow to be managing. You would probably want to automate this in some way. You'd need some software to manage this operation if you were to do it at any kind of scale. So John, hidden behind his VPN and his virtual machine in his little sandbox hazmat suit, he makes his way to some iffy forums where he starts finding folks selling tools that do just this. What he starts to figure out are the tools being used by this hacker to deploy these phishing texts at scale. Interestingly enough, found out that, you know, started started doing some, some digging into the dark web and found out that um, there's actually these malware toolkits or, you know, phishing toolkits built for this sort of thing. And they're all built around this X PHP exploit called Find My iPhone, which leverages um, the Find My iPhone API to hammer it and try and um, release the activation lock. So I found this GitHub project, 
that was um, a proof of concept somebody had done, clearly for, you know, quote unquote, not malicious purposes, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and what it what it allowed the users of that, uh, you know, particular tidbit of code to do would be to pass in the Apple ID and password that they were they were given. And then it would try and log in and it would, I, I think it would remove the activation lock if it was able to log in. But at the very least, it was validating that those credentials were legit. A fully automated process. You punch in the number of the stolen device, which even though the device is locked, you have because you have the device's SIM card. And it's off to the races. Deploying these phishing texts to try and get these, you know, all important iCloud credentials, which if you were to fall for it and give them over, it would use to automatically log in, do a legitimate reset of the device, thus making it resellable without you having to touch anything. And if we think about the two security steps it takes to brick a stolen phone, the iCloud stuff is reversible if you have the iCloud credentials. It has to be, because what if you found the lost phone? You have to be able to get it running again. Mm -hmm. Your credentials are the last line of defense. If they get those, they're you as far as that device is concerned. The other line of defense is getting the device IMEI blacklisted. But again, that's only North America wide. And they're in Southeast Asia. So if you could get the device running again with iCloud credentials... It would now be a phone again, as long as you don't try and connect to a North American carrier. Through this process, the paperweight has been turned back into a phone. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements, but your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before, and your IT resources remain limited. The Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part. All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements, but your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before, and your IT resources remain limited. 
the Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part. So John starts paying closer attention to the domains that the hackers are using. I started collating as much um, detail as I could around the domains that were used for the fish, evidence of, it, evidence of this, figured out. They were actually all pointing to the same domain in the, back, in the background that was hosted um, so I was was protected by a Cloudflare proxy, so I couldn't really find anything about it. And even if he can't tell who controls the domains, he knows that this activity definitely qualifies as abuse under the terms of any registrar. Of course. And he's been assembling all of this evidence for his own purposes. And, and takes all of it, all the screenshots, all the domains, all the stuff he's found, and he turns around and he goes to the registrar and says... I'm reporting some abuse. Um, so I just compiled all that information and then en masse fired a bunch of emails off to the abuse, um, you know, ab- abuse accounts at all the different, um, the registrars and hosting providers. At the end of the day, I didn't really care so much about the stolen phone. It was that, holy crap, what are these guys doing? It was more than just a single, it's more than just a single phone. Like there's, you know, they've got some mechanism to do this. Well, you're probably also just like looking for a little bit of, I don't know, value out of all the time invested in kind of tracking it down so that it totally. makes sense to go after them. I kind of assume those abuse at emails are just like voids that you throw things into, but I'm intrigued to hear if that's the truth. It works. Oh. Really, uh, probably within the next day or two, they were just taken offline. I didn't even get, I didn't even get a response back from the registrars or anything, just gone gone you know i i fired up my uh, virtual machine one night just to log in and see hey are they still are they still doing this and they're gone and then the phishing mess the phishing messages stopped within a day or two within a day or two that's shocking they're gone he's taken the sites down and the question that you naturally then ask is like hey urls are really really cheap and John knows he probably didn't destroy this operation, but he certainly slowed it down. And I don't know if uh, if it was how, how they maybe they just stopped fishing me. I don't know, but um, <laughs> they they stopped fishing us. That's for sure. So John had reverse engineered the architecture of this hack, right? He'd used that to at least create a little bit of a speed bump for this thing, a little bit of friction for these folks. He'd gotten the sites pulled, and hopefully those registrars might learn to recognize this in some way. At least make it harder for people to do this same thing again. But if you're following the story kind of closely, there's still the IRL physical part of this that hasn't totally been worked out. 
what is the connection between these pickpockets in Eastern Canada and phone hackers in Vietnam? Where do those phones go? How does a pickpocket get a phone to a hacker a world away? That's the only part of this where there isn't really a digital trail of breadcrumbs for someone like John to follow. Yeah. And then a thought popped into my head as we were discussing this, this moment earlier in the story that we lack a little bit of clarity on. After the phone is stolen, but before it shows up in Vietnam. About 10 o'clock, I got a ping on my cell phone that said, oh, iPhone's been located. And it had shown up online three hours away in, in, uh, at a strip mall in Toronto. I thought, okay, that's really weird. The strip mall. Which was its last stop in North America before it shipped off to Vietnam. And so I asked John, like, what business in particular in this strip mall did it show up at? Uh, it was a Vietnamese restaurant in Toronto. <laughs> and so I asked John, did you ever go to the restaurant? No, no, no. The, the thought crossed my mind, um, but, but no, I did not. I, you kind of assume that maybe they went for dinner after a busy day of stealing phones and maybe they have connections in Vietnam. Maybe they're Vietnamese themselves and maybe they like Vietnamese food, you know? And Interesting. Like it, maybe, they're, maybe it's completely unrelated. Maybe it's a total it's coincidence a, that they went for a, a bowl of pho after a day of stealing phones and those phones, wherever they took them, just happened to end up in Vietnam. Right? Or, or... There is an international hacking ring being run out of a Vietnamese restaurant in Ontario. In a strip mall in Ontario. Or that. Could be. We'll never know. We'll never know. I mean, I thought, initially I thought this was going to be, uh, hey, you know, phone got stolen, it's been wiped, and somebody's going to sell it on, you know, Facebook or Kijiji or Craigslist or something, and then make a quick buck, disappear, and the person that buys it is left holding the phone that can't be activated because of the activation lock. Okay, big deal, you know, and, and when I talked to my friend who's the police officer, they said the same thing, like, okay, well, you know, whoever buys it's gonna be upset because they can't activate it, and, and big deal. Um, but no, in this case, it was so much bigger than, than that. It did not stop there. The uh, yeah, like I, the the economics of it just this is the the weirdest thing where it's like like you've got to assume that they're quantity over quality here, right? Like you're 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 buying bricked phones by the hundreds, hoping to unbrick a few of them. Like I can't imagine air, like the the churn rate is high. Like I imagine that you know you send out a bunch of you know phishing scams and maybe you get 10%. So if you get, get buy 10 bricked phones, maybe you get one out of it. But I guess I guess if you're paying 50 bucks a phone for 10, that's 500 bucks and you can resell that phone for like 800, you know, that's still a pretty good profit margin, but ah, it's just sad. I wish the world could take and dedicate all this like lost utility to to good things. For sure. An iPhone 12 for context, an unlocked iPhone used 
an unlocked used iPhone 12 retails on eBay for in and around in the five to 600 range Canadian. Right. So if we assume this, really this whole thing just turns on what is your success rate with the phishing scam? Because that's the like number you're dividing this out by. If it's half of them and you buy these phones for 50 bucks and you can sell essentially, you're selling one for 500, but only half of them are working. So you're making like 250 on average per stolen phone. Pretty good rate of return. Yeah. Is it every other phone works? Is it one in 10? Is it one in 20? The economics of this depend entirely on how effective your phishing attack is. Uh, and But like not even that, like how effective your pickpocketing is. Like imagine <clears throat> if you need two people, like what's your <clears throat> hourly pay? Like Jordan and Scott go to the mall and steal phones for a day. <laughs> say we get, say we get twenty phones. Yeah, like we have a wildly successful day. I feel like if you can Gang steal busters. twenty phones in a day, each of those phones sells for twenty bucks. It's four hundred dollars. You mm-hmm. know, let's say that that was a full eight-hour work day. You know, that's twenty-five bucks an hour each. Like that's not crazy money. Like, like I feel like there's better legal, more productive. You know contributing to society in a positive way ways to make $25 an hour. <laughs> Maybe that's some entitlement that I have, but it just feels like... It might also be that, and again, just speculating wildly, it could also be that this is sort of like a, there's stages to it, right? It's like the best thing we can do is try and truly unlock this phone because now it has become worth about $600 Canadian. Mm. Sick. That's our best case scenario. If we can't do that, for parts alone, because every store that you know replaces screens has to get them from somewhere, every store that replaces sure. batteries, all of that stuff, the camera module, yeah, it reduces the value of the device when it's not a single working unit, but say for parts, it goes from 600, even if it on parts alone is worth half, that phone is still worth 300 bucks, roughly speaking. So it's not all or nothing. It's just this last ditch attempt at extracting the most value out of this phone as humanly possible. The other thing too would be when you're sitting in that Vietnamese restaurant power cycling these phones. Yep. Yep. What's the percentage of phones that aren't bricked mm. that haven't been locked? Mm. And like uh, this is going to sound bad, but like I know people that still don't have passcodes on their phone. Sure. And it's like if there's not a passcode on your phone, you can pretty much reset it. Pretty simply. Huh. Like, I think you still need to log in iCloud, if I'm not mistaken, assuming it's connected to iCloud. So, yeah. I wonder what their hit rate of, like, just free winners are, you know? They don't really right. have to do much. Yeah. Right the second you take it out of the pocket, it's worth the full retail value. Yeah, yeah. And, or whatever it's selling for used. And then you go down to stage two for the ones that are locked down, and they get run through this phishing scam, and then it trickles down to selling it off for parts. Yeah, literally tearing it apart and selling the batteries and screens. Exactly. When you get digital criminals, you know, they're orchestrated like essentially organized crime, but you know, they're going after massive things and hacking and stealing and ransomware where you're, you know, one good strike and you're making, you know, millions of dollars versus like steal phones. <laughs> and I, I'm not stealing phones to like get access to someone's Bitcoin wallet and steal their Bitcoin or like get their like, you know, get past their two factor authentication. It's like, no, I'm stealing phones because phones are worth money. I always thought, like you, right? Oh, there's the the phones have activation lock on them, and they're pretty they're pretty much useless if they're stolen. 
but clearly they're not. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you in particular to John for sharing his story with us, uh, for reaching out, for being very generous with his time. I hope the plumbing debacle is going well. Uh, if you happen to have solved an interesting cybercrime hacking type story and you want to get in touch, if you have a story you think we should know about, uh, especially if it's something you experienced or have some connection to, feel free to get in touch. You can find our contact information at patreon.com slash hacked podcast. Single best way to support the show. Speaking of, my main man, Eric Bacon, thank you for being a Patreon supporter. Stuart Bowles, your support means a lot. Uh, drum roll. Holy hell. Thank you so much to Elisa Gonzalez-Smith. Hacked Patreon patron of the month. Thank you so much. Uh, that's this one. That's this episode. Another one in the can. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. <laughs>